So good morning, Two Rivers. We're so glad you're joining us from whatever location you're joining us, Corning, Cortland, Binghamton, our online campuses. We're so happy that you're with us. We're thankful for you. We want to know that we've been praying for you. We love you, and we're glad that you're here. I'm excited today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name's John. I serve as the online community pastor, and I also serve as the executive pastor here at Two Rivers Church. We're excited because we have a, a, a sermon today, a message today. It's called Marriage Conversations. And, and so I don't want you to check out if you're not married, because guess what? Each and every one of us are in relationships, and, and at the heart of a marriage is a, is a relationship. So, so it's important that each and every one of us kind of lean in. I don't know if anyone here has ever heard of the 10,000-hour rule. Has anyone ever heard of that? Raise your hand if you have. Yeah, so the 10,000-hour rule says this, that you got to spend 10,000 hours uh, at, at practice and doing Doing something to get to, to become a master at it, and so on the stage to today we have three couples, and between them, 135 years of marriage. Yes, 135 years of marriage. That's 1,182,000 hours of marriage. That's whew. Oh my goodness, how they did it. We don't know. So I'll tell you, we got some masters on the stage with us tonight, and they're going to they're gonna give us some, some direction about what it looks like to, to have God and Jesus at the, the center of their lives and the center of their marriage. So I'm going to turn it over right now to Pastor Kerry. God bless you. We love you. Good morning. I stuck in a one million, that's the last thing I heard, one million hours. Um, so here's what we're going to do. I am going to uh, read a few verses. We're going to kick this off from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, familiar, often called the love chapter. And each couple is going to maybe loosely, maybe not loosely, use the, the, the content of, of some of these verses to, to drive their theme and to start the conversation and to speak into that. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It always is hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Ron and Sherry are going to start us off. We got married June 1st, 1974. After 47 years, five sons, five wonderful daughters, in, five son, wonderful son, daughters-in-law, three uh, great sons-in-law and uh, three daughters, 33 and soon to be 34 grandchildren, oh. one great-granddaughter and a second great-granddaughter on the way. Uh, we can say along with you, what a life. We had no idea what to expect when all this began. Uh, I had baggage, uh, she had baggage, we each had our private fears, but we knew from the start that the only foundation to safely build on was our common faith and trust in Jesus. That is as true today as ever, whether you're 18 years of age beginning adulthood, or you're 58 and starting or restarting a walk of faith. 
Now, to build on our common faith in Jesus, the Bible needs to be central to our thoughts, actions, and attitudes. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is patient and kind. That presents a problem to a person like me, a real dilemma. Although Sherry met me when I was a senior in Bible school and initially assumed that I was the paragon of Christian virtue, she got to know me after we got married. And you see, I am selfish. I can be curt, abrupt, even rude, particularly when I want to get something done and you seem to be interrupting or detaining me from doing it. Add the dimension of demerage to those character deficiencies, and you would, if your mouse in the corner, from time to time, see and hear harsh reactions, impatient outbursts. So whatever happened to love is patient and kind. The way life has gone for us is that we may live in the mode of patience and kindness for several weeks or even months at a time. But then something happens. That something could be anything. Often changes in attitude or mental posture creep in slowly. And when a relational blow-up occurs, we must stop and take inventory of our recent past. For those of you unfamiliar with the Living Waters curriculum, we strongly encourage you to engage with it later this summer. In Living Waters, we use the acronym to describe the circumstances which influence you toward indulging in whatever your particular addictive behavior happens to be. And I think it's going to be put on screen. Is that correct? Is it there? Not yet. Living Water addresses, in addition to what Jared expressed, uh, not just sexual brokenness, but relational brokenness. That's more relevant to most of us, perhaps. Um, so don't think when you sign up for Living Waters that you're marking yourself as somebody that's uh, uh, threatened all kinds of weirdness. Um, you may ask what relevance Living Waters and addictive behavior have to do with marriage or love being patient and kind. My answer to that question is that many of the same things that derail us in our addictive tendencies also derail us in our capacity to demonstrate that love is patient and kind. Is it on the screen yet? Look at that. It looks pretty interesting, doesn't it? Halt the BS. These are the factors that, just a few of the factors that can influence us, whether we're in the midst of a, uh, a tendency toward addictive addiction or in our marriage. When we're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, bored, and stressed. At this point, you may say, well, that's not very profound. Perhaps not, but it's real. We don't need to be highly religious or theologically astute. When you look at a long married couple, do you think they got it together? That must be great. Reality check. <laughs> I have deeply wounded my wife more times than you may imagine. We have faced a sense of hopelessness Many times. Those times have brought Sherry and me, in spite of my stubborn and prideful reluctance, to the place of willingness to say the most nine difficult words of the English language. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. In the words of N.T. Wright, quote, 
the kingdom work in my life, being rooted in worship, has taught me that there is no downward limit to the destructive ravages of my own sinful inclinations, unquote. Jeremiah 17 says that my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. My heart needs redemption every moment of every day. When I live with that awareness, four things happen. I can embrace my responsibility for my own sin and dysfunction. Two, I can humble myself before God and my wife. Three, I can release my reaction and or bitterness. And four, I can accept my wife as an imperfect person, but as a very good gift. In summary, I can grow in my capacity and experience of the truth that love is patient and kind. Amen. Amen. So with only a few minutes to share highlights, I decided on some stones of remembrance from our past together that continue to impact my life. I came to marriage really unaware of a deep wounding that had left me with a raw fear of abandonment. A close family member left our home when I was 16 without any promise of returning. And as it turned out, this person did come back, but the deep sense of rejection and neglect that I experienced set up a reactionary cycle in my life. It was like a container of wounding that was already full, so that when I perceived the slightest neglect or rejection, the container tipped and all kinds of emotions spilled out. And then, as Ron said, what happens to the virtues of patience and kindness? I had to come to grips with the truth that no matter how well Ron loved me, he couldn't save me from that sense of abandonment. Only Jesus could save me. And I have needed that saving work of Christ throughout our 47 years together. So I was 18 years old the day Ron Manwaring sat with me in the main lounge of Bible school, where he was a senior and I was a freshman, and he said, let's talk about what we are going to base our relationship on. Well, my first thought was relationship. We have a relationship. But that day, Jesus became the center of our relationship. Later, we were given a wedding gift of a plaque that still hangs in our kitchen today. It says, Christ is the head of this home, the unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. We have learned over and over that patience and kindness hang in the balance of this truth. So 15 years ago or so, Ron and I attended Living Waters, a prayer ministry, but also a dynamic discipleship ministry program. I came to realize that I had made a vow when we got married that I was going to do marriage better than my parents. That vow resulted in pride and a striving for goodness. So out of the self-righteousness, I figured since I was pretty good, I just needed to change Ron. 
It's like I'd be a good wife if it wasn't for my husband, right? But the first week's teaching in that program changed my life. When I heard for the first time, if we love out of our need for love, we cannot help but manipulate those we love. I'm going to read it again. If we love out of a need for love, we cannot help but manipulate those we love. And my fear of abandonment made me very needy for love. It was a big realization that I was a big part of the problem. So we had been married 20 years, and I remember joking to a friend, you know, I wonder what God was thinking. It does seem like after 20 years, it'd be nice to trade in for a new set of problems. My friend looked at Ron and said, this doesn't look so good for you. I laughed and I was a bit embarrassed at my own raw honesty. Putting his shoes in the closet, hanging up the same coat, arguing about his driving was all affecting my respect for him. But soon after that, I believe the Holy Spirit prompted me with a new purpose, and here it is. If no one else in this world knows that I am a follower of Jesus, at least I want my husband to know. It's kind of a radical idea, you know, living like a Christian in your home. I purpose to pray for him instead of criticizing him. Well, except for his driving. I still have a problem with that. (laughs) But understanding the gift of the feminine as complementary to the masculine is, I believe, the high calling on my life as a woman. But I didn't always see it that way. Our conflict erupted many times from simply failing to appreciate another perspective. These simple words rescued me more than once. Different isn't wrong. Different is just different. So it has been said that marriage will test every virtue you ever thought you had. We went through a pretty dark time 20 years ago or so, and I was miserable. My prayers were often, Lord, what is wrong with us? One day, the Holy Spirit, I felt him speak to me and say, Sherry, what do you love more than anything else? In that moment, I realized that my favorite place to be is in love with Ron. And that was a great revelation. Many times I've since said to myself, okay, my favorite place to be is in love with him. Now, how do I get back there? The final thought I want to share is this. I've come to see that the most precious gift in our marriage together is our history together. The gift of our history together is worth every trial we've gone through. I believe it's like the pearl of great price for a a marriage. I treasure our history together more than any other accomplishment as the greatest gift in my life. Thank you.
Wayne and Barb Hampton, and uh, up, up and coming uh, next month on the 22nd, we will have been married 51 years. So we're the old folks. <laughs> uh, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love is not self-seeking, if I can paraphrase that a little bit. It's not self-serving, it's not self-centered, it's not egocentric. Love is not about her making me happy all the time. We uh, probably come from completely diverse backgrounds. Uh, I was an only child. She had eight brothers and sisters and 42 first cousins. Uh, she grew up on a farm all her life, uh, knows every teacher's name that she ever uh, went to school for. And uh, I was, as I say, an only child, and uh, I lived in 11 different towns and, uh, before I got out of high school. And so I was about as stable as a Texas tumbleweed. I just uh, did not have any, my, I did not have a father. I had three stepfathers until I was age nine. Then I had some live-ins, and then I had some stop-ins. My mother was a very unstable person. Uh, Barb grew up as a believer and following the Lord Jesus, strong family faith. I grew up as zero. So uh, I really had no successful marriages to look up to as an image or to follow. And uh, the Bible says very simply that the two become one. And that is, of course, a process. So there is no room in the marriage bed for a third party. A third party is an intruder into a marriage. An obvious intruder into a marriage is another man or another woman. Maybe less obvious intruders could be, oh, by the way, drugs and alcohol are definitely destructive in intruders. Uh, less sub subtle intruders are pornography, gambling, a vocation, he's married to his job, sports, he's a, she's, he's a sports widow, in-laws, a sickness can divide a family, Children, how you dote on them. Success becomes an ego trip. Excessive spending or anything that you allow to come between the two of you is an intruder and a third party. My intruder was early on in life, I discovered booze and porn. Both helped soothe the pain of my loneliness and instability, and in essence, they became my friends. Upon giving my life to Christ, I gave up all those things except porn crept back in. The third party in my marriage was a combination. It was what I thought was the justifiable need for the attention of other women and the use of pornography. Like any compulsive behavior, it never satisfies and can only lead to more indulgence and thus elevates itself. So infidelity became inevitable. Most sin is all about self. It's self-serving, self-seeking, and just the opposite of true love, which is self-sacrificing. What's in it for me? Here, Eve, taste this fruit. It's going to be good for you. You're going to know stuff that you didn't know. It's all about you, Eve. Adam, choose her or choose me. Which one? We know which one he chose. So uh, porn is all about self-gratification. Most sin in a Christian's life is secret sin. You don't want anybody to know. And the strength of sin is silence and secrecy and shame. It keeps it embedded in your life because you're shameful. Well, sin is a liar. It harms, not helps. It destroys, not delights. 
It robs, not enriches. It divides and devastates a marriage. The intruder has to be cast out. Remember, there's no room in the marriage for a third party. My sin cost me my home, my ministry, my reputation, and almost my marriage. After my failure, I entered into a two-year restoration program under the guidance of my denomination. The road to restoration came through humbling myself, counseling sessions, accountability, reading books on marriage, attending seminars, and many hours of talking it out with Barb. I had hurt her deeply, but because I loved her, I would do whatever necessary to restore our relationship. The turning point in my life actually came, you, you know, uh, <laughs> kind of like, you know, you never know you've been awake or asleep until you wake up. And I never realized uh, until one counseling session when I was saying to the counselor, you know, I really have a felt need for the attention of other women. It, it, it validates my masculinity. And the counselor said, you know, Wayne, that is a toxic lie. Barb is more than enough for you. Somehow that was, it was, it was like boom, bang, you know. I mean, it kind of like, you know, the, the wires are crossing here. Something's missing. I really don't need other women's attention. I don't need their input into my, all I need is Barb. And it, it was like, wow, the light came on. And, and so uh, we, we began that journey of, of journaling, and we talked a lot, and we spent quality time together. We do just about everything together. And, and uh, I enjoy discovering more about her. After 51 years, I still don't know who she really is. <laughs> and she doesn't know. You know, it's a great discovery. It's a wonderful thing. You know, it sounds like 1 Corinthians 13.5, where it says, you know, now here's the deal. It's imperative that you identify any third party in your marriage. and any intruder into your marriage and you cast him out. You, know, you heard what mine was. You need to identify that thing or individual or whatever it is, and you need to work on it. Now, counseling is available here at Two Rivers. Pastor Kerry is a counselor. You're going to hear more about that. So if, if your problem happens to have been what mine was, relational with, with, with somebody of the opposite sex or of the same sex or in pornography, it needs to be cast out. It's just that simple. Now, here's an interesting aside as I close. We had four kids. Uh, none of them really understood what was happening because it was so early on in our marriage. Uh, and, and we worked hard not to have it impact their lives. Your pastor here is Will Hampton, one of our kids. If we had not worked hard to restore our marriage, it might be a different story there might not be a two rivers right here in Binghamton. Marriage is worth the hard work. Who knows what it holds for your future? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, 5 through 6 is the segment that we're sharing from, and I'm going to touch on a few of those things. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. A crisis did come in our relationship after 13 years of marriage. Our marriage faced the possibility of shipwreck due to this infidelity. 
we were both determined that with God's help, we would work through our difficulties and not run from them. We valued each other. We valued our family. We valued our ministry. Our faith and hope was in God. We went to our knees and humbled ourselves before God and our ministerial leadership. We knew without God's help, we would not make it. We were removed from ministry for two years and were under the help of professional counselors. The counselors were objective and could help us both see where we needed to change. I did not share with everyone in our family or our friends what we were going through. I carefully chose only a few mature and trusted people to go to when needed beside the counselor. I did not seek people to be on my side of the things. I was very careful not to disrespect or dishonor my husband before my family, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, children, or other friends. Even to this day, I do not tempt people to gossip by giving too much information that they do not need to know. I've had people even ask, but I will not share unless they are a part of what is needed to be known. I knew I had to forgive and it would make if we would make it. And I learned that forgiveness is an ongoing process. I needed Jesus to change me and my attitude. I did not want to become bitter by recounting over and over in my mind all the things and the ways that I was offended and wrong. I cried out to God to change my heart, to teach me how to forgive with his love and forgiveness. Satan is our enemy, and he wants to replay over and over in our minds how we were hurt or our failures. Satan keeps record, not Jesus. The battle is in our mind. Many times the thoughts and pictures of infidelity would come, and I would tell the devil they are covered by the blood of Jesus. I could be riding in a car and be attacked by Satan of memories, of thoughts, of who he was with or what was happening. And I would raise my hand up from the steering wheel and say they're covered by the blood of Jesus. I had to really battle at first. Um, at one point, I thought I couldn't do it. I couldn't make it. I needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And so time and again, I got on my knees or I walked. We were camping for two months um, in a camper with the four kids while we were in transition because we could not be at our home because of the ministerial change and discipline. And so before God even gave us a place to live, we were in a camper. And I remember one night walking and saying, God, I can't do this. I can't be in these close quarters with this man that I'm so angry with. And yet the Holy Spirit ministered to me, and I knew I didn't want to be bitter. I knew that um, it wasn't hopeless, that God could change things. And so I did not allow these destructive thoughts to cause bitterness. Um, I've known other people who are so full of bitterness that they shut the door to reconciliation. And in Hebrews 12, 15, it says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Without God's grace and forgiveness, bitterness grows up and spreads in your heart and the hearts of those around you, and it causes trouble. I had triggers 
that would remind me of past hurts that would come to my mind, but I learned not to dwell on them. No good comes from them. I was tempted to throw them in his, my, in his face. There is a safe place to talk about these things, and, it's not, and it is in counseling. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It was in counseling when Wayne realized he was believing a toxic lie, that he needed the attention of other women because of his mother's impact on his life. He began to see God's truth for our lives, that, was, that I was enough for him. The truth started to change our lives. I often quote Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. His transform he is transforming our lives. God gives us beauty for our ashes as he promised in Isaiah 61. I rejoice in the truth of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit and the life that he brings. I have beautiful gardens, and they did not just pop up. We go out and we work in them. The garden left alone would become weeds. They would overtake my flowers. Just last fall, we took down three large pine trees with the help of our neighbor. They were huge and becoming diseased. We replaced them with what I call our renewal garden. Now we have a new vista and the gardens receive the benefit of more sunlight. Sometimes there are large things that block our vision, and we need to remove them in our marriages. We need the help like we needed with our neighbor to take down the trees, and we needed a counselor. Our marriage has become a beautiful garden because we have been willing to seek help, change, root out, and forgive. We have leaned on the Lord all the way for 51 years, and we are in our golden years of life together, in love with each other and with the Lord. Amen. Thanks, guys. Uh, before I share our part of the conversation, I want you to, to know that we did not orchestrate the content. So I think that God is saying something specific tonight. When you hear what I say and what Nancy says, we, we planned 1 Corinthians 13 and we took our verses, but you're going to hear as we talk the unity between the three of, of what we have to say. And um, I don't know, I feel like facial recognition never works when you want it to. I feel like God is saying something to us. Um, I'm Carrie. This is my wife, Nancy, and we lead the Two Rivers Counseling Center. Yes, Two Rivers does have a counseling center. More in just a minute. Our verse, 1 Corinthians 3, 7, love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So we're going to talk a little bit about endurance and perseverance and fidelity. And I, I grew up as a child of divorce, and that's a long story. Um, suffice it to say that I knew I didn't want that for our, our family. Unfortunately, my motivation was more out of uh, um, self-preservation than, you know, fidelity and perseverance and, and love for her. It was actually quite, pretty selfish. So I would, I would say to Nancy, we are not getting a divorce. 
I mean, just like that, because it was a grit the teeth, this isn't going to happen to my family as well. Um, while that, she, she, I mean, there wasn't the best way to do it, but here's what I want to say about that. The good thing was, there was this determination to see it through. My motivation was kind of stinky, but there was this seed of motivation to, to see that through and to see it through to the end. Um, and, and, and there is going to be no lasting relationship without that sort of determination from the get-go. You know, these days, there, there used to be these words we would say at a wedding ceremony, and we've all but replaced them with one sort or another of prenuptial agreement. There's lots of ways of writing prenuptial agreements, and they're not all legal. But here's the words we used to say at weddings. I take you to be my wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness. That gets me because sickness came to our family. In health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. Sounds a lot like the verses from 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to use a phrase a little bit different than what, Will, uh, what Wayne used, but it's the same concept. He talked about a third party. I'm going to just really quick mention plan Bs. A prenuptial agreement is a plan B. It's going to be really hard to hang on to a relationship and not end up in breakup if you're holding on to a plan B. I won't get into it, but my plan B was a high school sweetheart. There was a point which I had to choose to cut that off and let go of the dreams and some of the, the, the pictures I had in my mind of what that would look like and not let that come between us. But there are other kinds of plan Bs. Uh, Wayne mentioned a few of them. I'm going to take it a little bit different direction. But a plan B is threatening to leave as a real or a fake um, threat to maintain control, the upper hand, or self-protection. I hear this in counseling all the time. Well, he, he keeps threatening to leave me. She keeps threatening to leave me. Plan B. Ain't going to work. Maybe we nurture a relationship or two at work or on social media so we aren't starting from scratch if our relationship breaks up. I got someplace to run. Maybe we don't say that's why we keep those relationships open. But inside our heart, that's a plan B. Maybe our hearts are overly guarded because of past betrayal. So we never really give ourselves fully to another. Or worse, we vow that we will never fully give ourselves to another. Plan B. You're holding out. You're holding back. And it's going to take more than that. Here are some things that I often hear as a counselor. I'll never trust another woman. I'll never depend on another guy. I'll never let myself get that needy. I'll never get married. I'll never be alone again. I'll never fill in a blank. You're stepping in all over plan B's. You've already got escape hatches. Things that you've set up that are going to destroy the relationship. So I'm going to close with some verses of my own that my mentor gave me that I have used over the years to keep myself on the straight and narrow, if you will. 
Um, and before I read them, I'm going to tell you that they're blunt and graphic. So hold on to your seats because I'm going to read Proverbs 5, 15 through 20. And then I'm going to suggest some alternate scripts you might want to hold on to that push the plan B's aside and I will nevers and keep you on the straight and narrow. Drink water from your own well and share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. You couldn't substitute husband in all these, okay? She is a loving deer and a graceful doe. Okay, maybe not that one. Maybe not this one either. Let her breast satisfy you always. Yeah, I know it. I know it, right? May you always be captivated by her love. May you be captivated. Um, why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? Now, I'm going to read that real quick from the message, just a few of those verses. Enjoy the wife you married as a young man. Lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose, don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take her love for granted. Why would you trade enduring intimacies for cheap thrills with a whore? For dalliances with a promiscuous stranger. This is the scripture. One last one, verse 20 from the Amplified. Why should you, my son, be infatuated with a loose woman, embrace the, woman, the bosoms of an outsider, which Wayne also undressed, and go astray? Here's the scripts these verses led me to fall back on when we were struggling. I choose to drink from my own well. I choose to drink from only my own well. I choose to share my love only with my wife. My wife is a fountain of blessing to me. I will rejoice in the wife of my youth only. I refuse to take my wife for granted. My wife is as beautiful as a rose. I will delight in her body alone. I choose to be captivated by no other love except for my wife's. I refuse to wound and curse my wife and kids by going astray with the outsider to my family. And one last one. Then Nancy's going to wrap up. In love, I will never give up on us. Never lose faith in us. Always put my hope in us. And I will endure through every circumstance. So now I'm going to cry, but <laughs> so you're just going to have to. Um, but I just wanted to say a, a few things about um, enduring. And sometimes um, it's necessary to endure alone. Sometimes you feel like you're the only one um, never giving up and never losing faith. And, um, and sometimes whether that's true or not, you need to still never give up. Um, you know, when Carrie said about, you know, through clenched teeth, he was like, we were never getting a divorce. I was like, you know, I was, that wasn't a hopeful statement for me <laughs> at the time. You know, it wasn't like, oh, great. You know, I was just like, perfect. Like, here we are. He's never divorcing me, but it's just going to be awful, you know, because I didn't hear in that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on it to make it, 
great, you know. I'm, it, it was just a, like, we're not doing it, you know. And so I wasn't, like, eager to get a divorce either, but, you know, you're, you get yourself in a spot and you just think, like, I, I just can't, you know. I just, this cannot be, like, forever, <laughs> you know. Um, but I think that God honored the commitment, even though it was maybe misplaced or even though the motivation for it wasn't God-honoring at the time. I think because neither of us, because I was such a rule keeper, like, I wasn't going to get a divorce because, like, you just don't do that, you know. But there wasn't any sort of other reason. But God honors that. And so for a while, we sort of just lived in that. We lived in, we're not getting a divorce, you know. But then after a while, it was like, okay, so if this is going to happen, like, something's got to give. And so we just, like, you know, Wayne said, we just started reading all the books. We read a book on how to have a fair fight, you know. And um, we went to counseling, just the, just the two of us separately. And, and the crying is going to come because, like, God rescued us individually. And I, and, and I think everybody has said it. You know, you are only as good as a couple as you are as a person. Like, you can't be better than you are yourself in your own heart. So because we had trusted people that we could talk to and say all the things to, you know, um, it, because Gary, you know, he said before, you know, he was like angry and he had all the like flashy, big, like in your face sort of sins. And I used to think to myself, like if he would just get his act together, you know, we would not have this problem. And um, so we went to counseling and I've, I found out like, hmm, you know, the fear and you're controlling and you're, the, you know, and it, not, not so pretty, you know. So we all have stuff. And I think our kids are probably just so sick of hearing it, but we're just like, we said it all the time. We are on the same team. This is not two people trying to get whatever they can get out of the relationship. Like, you're on the same team. Like, let's play on the same team, you know. Um, and so, like, endure even if you feel like you're enduring alone because God honors. Your hope is in God. It isn't in your spouse. You know, it's in God. And then um, an another thing that I would say is endure um, together. Now, you know, and we've heard about things like, um, you know, sin and um, drugs and alcohol and stuff coming in between your relationship and trying to destroy it. But I feel like sometimes, um, you know, it's not necessarily sin, but it's like we just have a baby, and I'm not getting any sleep, and I feel like a zombie. And, and so, you know, you're just like hanging on by a string. Or, or what happened with us, you know, several years ago, we had two years of like, I, you know, it's a bad word that I would say about that. And it, like, and it wasn't anybody's fault, you know. My dad died. Um, Carrie had a, a medical thing that just, like, took him out, and then he couldn't work, and he was just, like, all the drugs because of the pain. And, and so then I was, like, it. And, and, I, and so n nobody did anything wrong, but, but the enemy is a thief and a destroyer, and he will come in however he can get in. And, and so even if there isn't a sin, 
you know, like a, you know, a thing that's going to break you apart or whatever. Sometimes he just comes in because I didn't sleep for the last nine days, you know. Or he comes in because for two years I was like, I, I don't know how to do this by myself, you know. But, but you, like, you can't let the, the enemy win. Like, I, I just want to say to you, like, sometimes you just have to sit with each other and go, okay, this sucks. And... I don't know how we're going to get through it, but I will endure. I will sit here next to you, and we will make it, you know, because, because God promises. They're true, you know, and, and, and his promise is for a plan that is good for you and, and all that. And so you just need to, sometimes you just need to sit there with each other and go, like, here we are. And we're gonna and we're gonna do it till the end, you know, and until we come to the other side, and the other side happens. And the last thing I would just say is like endure to the end, you know, um, like go all the way there. I I think Wayne said something like it's 51 years, and I still don't know everything about this woman. Like some, I think that sometimes complacency or okay, this is good, like that's this is a nice thing here we've got going, you know, but like. I, I think you need to, like, fight and work for great because great can happen, you know, and, I, and if it's good and if that, like, works, you know, that's boring, really, you know. So I feel like let's, let's go all the way to the end. Let's love each other all the way to the end. Let's, let's just say... Like, what is the next thing I'm going to find out about you that I'm just going to love so much? You know, like, we're married 37 years, and I look at the man, and I go, seriously? You're amazing. You know, because I didn't even know that, you know? So I, I, I just want to say, without God, for us, up here, this did not happen. Like, other than God's grace, because God is good, and because God is a rescuer and a savior and a redeemer, that whatever you brought with you, whatever you did to wound or hurt each other, God, God can save you and he can make you great. And then you're not sitting together 37 years later with your teeth gritted going, I'm not getting it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, that's what I'm saying. So. She said what she's saying. Love you, babe. If I could have the team come back, um, I'm going to wrap up here um, with just a, a couple of quick comments. So the worship team, oh, look at that. There's Ryan. Um, so through this, we've mentioned, all three of us couples mentioned um, that we had help through this, that counseling was a, a part of our journeys. Um, and Yes, Two Rivers does have a counseling center. In fact, we are on the very beginning edges of getting one opened in Cortland as well. So we're working on having another branch up there in Cortland, all right, where, where our children serve. And, um, and where Jared and Lee are up there. And uh, to, to you that are here and the, the, everyone that, that are going to listen to this today, um, here's what we want to do because we want to help. So if you just mentioned that you heard this message, we'll give you 10% off your first uh, appointment and we'll give you 20% off your second appointment. Anything we can do to help you come in, find out how, some of the details of how this happened, and, and 
I don't know. Let me wrap up with what Nancy said. We did not get 37 years strong or 51 years strong on a mountaintop. The strength came through the valleys. And if you will fight and endure, right, those valleys, they become victories. They become treasures that you look back and go, dang, that was hard, but look what Jesus did. I think of Tasha Layton's song, Look What You've Done. Let's pray together. Father, we all here know that you didn't uh, like this as a small thing. Just save our souls. Uh, you saved our marriages. And, and God, we know you didn't just save them once. Lord knows. You know. You saved us over and over and over again. You saved us from ourselves. You saved us from life. You saved us from misadventure. You, you saved us from, from death and, and difficulty and, and just circumstances that came up in our lives that made it difficult. And we are here to say to you, we love you. You are our God and our King, and it is only because of you. And God, I, 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 I'm thinking that my prayer would be that you wouldn't let anyone sit out there and go, well, that's just great. Three pastors sitting up there on the stage or, or church leaders, and we talk about Ron and Sherry, who have been leaders in the church for years, and that they exempt themselves. Lord, I, I, I'm hoping that everyone in this room will believe that their marriage, that you, that you make all things new, and their relationship, no matter where it's at, can not just be beautiful but God-honoring. That it can be, that it can endure to the end. That it can not just bless them, but bless their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and everyone connected to their family. I pray that you'd get glory through our marriages and through our lives together and in our community as we come closer to you and as our marriages become stronger and stronger together. For your glory and for your namesake, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.